0: Y'all better not come to my studio with that fake shit Y'all better not come on my funeral with that fake shit Y'all better off realizing there's nothing that y'all could do with me All I ever ask is keep it more than 92 women me on.
1: What up though? Today is July 18th Happy birthday Candice It's my boo Candice's birthday Tomorrow's my husband's birthday My friend Ebony's birthday is coming up right after that. A lot going on. We're still in Los Angeles enjoying vacation. It's going to end very quickly because as you all know, training camp is right around the corner. July 28th, I believe, is the date that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to report to camp and probably most other teams as well. So this fun, adventurous, crazy L.A. time is going to be coming to an end. And I can't thank Moose Cat Studios enough for having me and hosting me, allowing me to record in their studio. It's been going really great. If you don't know about Moose Cat Recordings, they're located in Los Angeles. Shout out to them. Shout out to all my friends that I've been hanging with this summer. I went to Cal State, LA. For those of you that don't know, I went to Northview High School. I've been able to spend a lot of time with my friends that I grew up with that know me more than anybody, so this summer has been one of my favorite summers because, you know, I'm able to hang out with girls that that I grew up with and then my son is able to hang out with my friends' kids, you know, for the first time like this, so, you know, he had his very first 4th of July pool party for the kids and uh, we're thinking about doing an annual event now, so Aiden has an annual pool party here in LA, so that's gonna be fun. So um, I'm going to be heading back to Florida pretty soon. And when I get back to Florida, I don't really have a lot of time that I'm going to spend in Fort Lauderdale. I've just got to get there, grab a bunch of my important things and head right to Tampa for training camp. And it's so crazy because this year training camp is going to be so different because um, my mother-in-law, who a lot of you probably already know because she's on social media, Brent's mom, she's going to be living with us. But another um, person that's going to be living with us is my dad. And so this is going to be kind of interesting because we're going to have two grandparents, a football player, a loud ex-pro, and a crazy kid in the same house for a whole season, all living under the same roof. So this season, in a new city, mind you, as well. So we're going to be learning our way around Tampa while slowly trying to figure out how to all live together. And um, I'm so excited for my, my dad to be staying with us because... I didn't grow up with a grandfather figure in my life. So it's kind of cool to see Aiden, you know, with his granddad and asking all kind of manly questions. And my dad has a different perspective, obviously, because he's in his sixties. So, you know, life is a little different for a man in his sixties versus his dad, who's in his thirties, who, you know, is a millionaire and all these other aspects of his life are a little bit different. So I love seeing them interact and communicate. And, um, it's, it's, my, my dad is um, a very interesting man, you know, in my opinion. I always grew up thinking that I didn't have a lot in common with male figures if they didn't play sports. You know, if they weren't shooting jump shots, you know, lifting weights, running suicides, all this stuff. I always assumed like, you know, I don't really want to, you know, hang out with that person that much. Because my whole life growing up revolved around sports, you know, in some way, shape or form, whether I was doing them. Or talking about them. And so, you know, my dad didn't really talk to me about sports very often, but we had a lot of really, you know, interesting conversations. And I don't think I started to appreciate them until I got a little bit older. And um, things in my life started to not so much revolve around sports, and it started to revolve around life, and things that are happening every day in life. And so I used to always, you know, call him and ask him opinions on things. And One of the most amazing things that I found out about my dad is that he was a part of of the woke community. And for those of you that don't know what that means, that means someone that doesn't believe everything that they read in the newspaper, doesn't listen to a lot of BS, has common sense, has experienced some things in life and know it can hear a story or can read an article and can know the difference between the BS and what's real behind it. And so when I found that I had a woke parent, I was just like, oh my God, like this, this probably could be the worst thing ever happened to me because I'm woke and he's woke. So two woke people (laughs) that are Gemini's that are related are, you know, it's a little crazy. So I'm, I'm so excited to just continue to pick his brain and talk to him about some of the things he's experienced and with everything that's going on today. I decided that um, there's not a lot going on in sports right now. It's just you know Tom Brady suspended four games. You know they're still hating on Johnny Manziel. Uh, I'm still being hated on. Apparently, I, I, I guess there's some other people that don't have anything else to write about. So they're still writing articles about me. Uh, we're gonna get into all that. You know we're gonna get into the, everything about me being anti-Semitic, about me being racist, about me being loud. We'll get into all that. But I really wanted to uh, have my dad on to get his perspective on some things that are happening in the world with the, all these shootings in Baton Rouge, in Dallas, in um Minnesota. And just get I wanted to have a forty year old forty like I'm forty one, but I speak for the thirty to fifty kind of generation, more of the more of the forty to twenty. But my dad is in his sixties, so I thought it would be great to have a conversation with him about what's going on today. And I hope you guys don't mind. There's not gonna be a lot of sports talk. If there's any time at the end, I'll do some ask Miko. But um, I just want to introduce my dad. His name is Edward. Uh, dad, you there?
0: Yes, I'm here,
1: darling. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so my dad is um, Edward. I'm going to tell him all your, your business, but we obviously have the same last name, Metcalf. <laughs> and uh, tell tell my listeners where you're from, where you were born. Like give them a little bit of a insight on who you are as a person.
0: As a person, my name is Edward Metcalf. I was born in the city of St. Louis, Missouri. I was raised at the heart of the city. And, um, I have my outlook concerning how my mother, grandmother and sister shape my image concerning society.
1: So, Dad, what I, year were you born in, though? I was born in 1954. 54. So this that is was, bef- Go ahead.
0: That was the year that the Brown versus the Board of Education um, mandate came down.
1: Okay. A lot of people do not know about that. Can you elaborate a little bit? Because I have a, a pretty young following a little bit. There's a lot of younger people. So mm-hmm. tell them about that... That um.
0: About the Brown
1: Yeah? Board t- of Education, yes,
0: that was a uh, a milestone for the uh, uh, educational uh, opportunities for Black people when there was such segregation in the educational uh, public education, and the uh, Supreme Court said that it was unfair that public school would be segregated, so they um, voted on a decision to desegregate the uh, public school system, you know, and because of that factor, we have now been able to advance in our educational pursuit, but that was because of the hard work that many of black people stood, stood up
1: and fought for. Mm-hmm. So um, talk about segregation a little bit. Cause I don't think, you know, when you don't live in what's considered a segregated community, can you tell us like what it was like for you? Cause I mean, obviously you were born when that happened but do those things take place immediately? Like what's the process like for kids that are in a all-black school versus an all-white school, now everybody's going together, how long did that process take, and what was it like for you to, like, just watch that happening?
0: Well, for me, uh, I was raised in a community which was strongly Afro-American, and um, we had a, a tremendous black superintendent. His name was Dr. Uh, Shepard. And he placed a lot of emphasis on the uh, black kids in um, his area to get the proper education. But segregation was something that was, um, it, it was a wicked and evil thing, for one thing. I faced it as a child. Uh, my first in conscious uh, awareness of it was when I was traveling with my mom to Arkansas. And we was on the bus and my mom wanted to take me to a restaurant to get some water. And the people at the restaurant uh, stopped us from coming into the restaurant and said, if I wanted some water, I would have to go to a horse trough and get some water. (laughs) Yeah, that was my first encounter with it. But St. Louis also had a lot of segregated area especially on the south side of St. Louis, you know. But primarily, there was a lot of integration into a lot of the areas, too. We had a lot of Italian people, a lot of Pol- uh, Polish people, and a lot of German people. But it was understood, too, at the same time, your limitation as far as, as, far as how far you can go in the area.
1: Okay. So, so the schools were, were desegregated, but you still couldn't drink water from a certain water fountain. Could you use certain bathrooms? Like once the, the segregation ended, was everything else still segregated?
0: Well, once segregation ended, it was a slow process for people to adopt and accept, you know, you still felt the sting of, of the uh, racist attitude that uh, whites would have, you know, but you uh, bypassed that and kept on pushing. But uh, the process within itself was such a slow because there was really no hurry in trying to make equality a factor in in our city.
1: So, so we're talking. How old were you when you took this trip with your mom on the bus and they told you to drink from from the horse trough? Uh,
0: I was about eight. At the time,
1: so this was about sixty-two,
0: about sixty-two, yeah,
1: sixty-two, and still, you know, there were still all these issues, and this had been passed eight years beforehand, and it, and still eight years later, there mm-hmm. was still, you know, uh, an issue. People were still holding on to, you know, these these issues with race eight years oh. after a law was passed.
0: Well, the law was passed for and, schools. Uh, yeah, yeah, for school,
1: but that's that didn't include restaurants and and all those type of things
0: no 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 no
1: that's crazy. you know and that's so funny to me because you're you're 61 dad i'm 62 just turned 62 um in may it's crazy to me that i hear a lot of people saying get over it all the time some of the things that black people have experienced and you're 62 and this just when you were born there was just then a law passed saying that blacks could go to the same schools as whites and, and if people are all, are saying, get over it, like that didn't just happen 60 years ago, and we're still having issues.
0: You know, I, I, I hate when a person says to me, get over it. I can't get over the fact that I have been discriminated against. I can't get over the fact that I am viewed as being inferior. I can't get over the fact that this society is, is uh, boasting a lie when it says that all men are created equal under the Constitution and they're not um, in uh, really standing up and honoring that document. So it's easy for a person who has never been in my shoes to say get over it and then to walk in my shoes and face the reality of knowing that I have been set aside just because of the color of my skin.
1: Mm hmm. So, Dad, you you know, let's let's be honest here. You're not just black. You are like really black. I'm black. You are black. You are. You know, who Akon is. Yeah. Well, who's I'll darker? Put, you or Akon?
0: Well, I always put myself in the category. I was before Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So we were cracking a joke not too long ago about how dark you were, and and it was different being your kind of black. In the black community, you were seen as like a god because of how dark you were. Is that true?
0: I was seen in a negative light, sweetheart.
1: Negative. I thought you said the ladies liked you.
0: Well, that was later. That was after James Brown came out with the song, Say It Loud, (laughs) I'm Black and I'm Proud.
1: Then you became cool.
0: I became It became cool. But prior to then, my particular complexion was uh, rejected, not only by whites but those in my own uh, race because the emphasis was placed on either you light, bright, or white.
1: Mm-hmm. And you were all dark.
0: I was all chocolate.
1: Chocolate with a big old afro probably.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. But see, here's, here's what happened with me, though my mother, my mother established my image for me. And she, t- she called me in one day because she saw that I was uh, unhappy and because I had been teased about my color. And my mom told me, she said, son, I'm gonna tell you something. You are my black pearl. And I said, mom, don't call me that because I hate that word black. She said, let me explain something to you, son. She said, the reason why I call you black pearl is because A white pearl is something that is common, and you can get that any time. She said, but a black pearl is special, and you just can't find that all the time. Mm. So you are my black pearl. You are special. And she dropped that seed in my head as a youngster. And after that seed was dropped, then it was cultivated by what James Brown said, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud.
1: Okay, cool. I, I wish I. Sometimes I think about what I would have been like back in the day, and I and I, I know this for sure. And Brent says this all the time. I am so sure that I would have been in the Black Panther uh, movement. I would have been involved. I would have. That's more of my lane. I am not really a marcher, a, a, you know, a, a sit-in and and demand. Um, things change. I'm more of a, you know, you shoot me, I'm a shoot you back kind of person. Like if I have a right to carry a firearm, I'm going to carry a firearm, which I do right. now, which you, you've you seen it. Right. What were you like growing up in the 70s? I know, you know, I, I know you had all the ladies. i didn't heard all the stories from my mom. But um, what were you like growing up as a teenager in, A a movement like you know the Black Panther. Were you involved? Were you more of a Martin Luther King kind of guy? Like, what were you like?
0: I was more of a uh, Black Panther type person. Mm. Matter of fact, the uh, the organization that I participated with was called Action. It was an offshoot of the uh, Panther movement that was headed by a guy named Percy uh, Green, and. We uh, was militant in our uh, outlook, and we dared to do things that would um, get people arrested. <laughs> As a matter of fact, a lot of people got arrested. Did and, you uh, get arrested? No, I, but I had the dogs. The dogs, the, the police dogs, was uh, was sick on me, and all that kind of stuff. And I was able to flee from the scene and
1: stuff. <laughs> oh, you were fast. I was fast. <laughs> mm, okay. okay,
0: so here is where uh, black people have to understand that in the 70s there was a call there was a call to action that says you know we're not going to take this abuse anymore and someone have to stand up and be heard someone have to stand up and say well you know i have a right an equal right to to walk the street i have an equal right to look for a job housing education and so health care all of these factors came into play. You know, I'm not a second-class citizen. I am a citizen of this country. And this country is going to own up to uh, its promises to its citizens. Mm-hmm. So 70s was a marvelous time to live, in my opinion, because it gave us an opportunity to be expressive, to take in our culture, and to really exemplify what it really means to be a black youth.
1: Mm-hmm. What were the police like back then?
0: The police was um, a lot of them was predominantly white in the community, and they had a mentality that they um, was God. They so had a like badge, it is now, right? They had a badge. And they had uh, a gun. So in a black community, they saw themselves as being God. I remember one incident that happened to me when I was 17. I was walking from my grandmother's house, and four detectives stopped me. And they pulled me over, and um, they wanted to search me. So I said, okay, you can search me. And then So you asking, just
1: let them, you didn't, back then you didn't have to have a warrant, you didn't have to have a reason, you could just pull a black guy off and just search him. Exactly. So like it is now.
0: Exactly. Okay, cool. And he said, what's your name? And I gave him my name. He said, what kind of record do you have? I said, well, I don't have a record, sir. I was being very polite. And he said this thing to me. He said, it's impossible for you to live in this neighborhood and not have a record. Mm-hmm. I said, well... I'm sorry to tell you, but I don't have a record. And this one, i never forget this one fat cop, you know, he said, I want you to pull your pants down. I said, what? Oh. And now, this is, now this was during the daytime. Okay. And, and, and for, for my sake, there was a guy named Frank. I, I forgot his last name. He was an older guy. He saw what was transpiring. And he's, he yelled, hey, what are you all doing to that boy? Mm-hmm. They got in their car and they left.
1: So they were asking you to pull your pants down? Yep. What were they going to do?
0: I had no idea, but I was going to pull my pants down. nowhere. way.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: I mean, there are cases where I have been picked up. And um, a friend of mine, uh, we was walking from my house one time. We was about 18 at the time. And then two cops picked us up just for walking the streets during the daytime. And said that we had robbed a, a uh, truck driver. And I said, well, that's not correct, sir. Uh, we just left my house and so forth. And he drove us around and where the truck driver was at. And one cop was in the car and the other one got out of the car. And the guy who got out of the car came back and said, well, the truck driver said you are the one.
2: Wow. I said, well,
0: he's a lie. And, he, and he took off in, in the car. And he said, well, we're taking you all down. So I said, OK, well, you take us down then. Well, anyway, the direction that he went in, I'm knowing that if he's going to take me to a precinct where he's supposed to turn. So when he got to that point, he didn't turn, he kept going. So I, I said to my friend, Well, they're going to do something else to us. And he headed toward the highway oh. on Highway 70. And he pulled off, he pulled into the highway. And uh, I said, I told my friend, I said, well, they're gonna do something to him. I said, well, they're gonna have to explain why they shot me in my back because I'm not taking a whooping. What'd know? you do? Uh, I said, well, when they stopped this car, I said, I'm, I'm running. I so said, you guys wanna...
1: weren't handcuffed or anything. You just in the back no. of a car.
0: Right. A police right. car
1: or just a regular car? Police car. And the doors police weren't car. locked.
0: The doors was locked. Yeah.
1: How did you get out?
0: Well, they opened the door. One, they pulled under the. Uh, bite out and uh and they said well well this one cop was, was saying to me, you know, you're kinda lucky uh, you know, you got a big mouth on you, and know, I said, Well, you know, I'm just gonna be able to say what I got to say. You know, the guy was lying and I know I didn't do anything, so that's it for me. So he pulled over to the side and I was and they, they took us about a mile or a mile and a half away from the city. And uh <laughs> told us to get out. And, and walk back home.
1: Oh, that was <laughs> and, it.
0: And that was it. Those little bitty things that they did to harass mm-hmm. within our community.
1: To instill you know? fear probably as well.
0: Well, right. You know, I, you know, there are many stories I can tell you, sweetheart, concerning how uh, they would invade our neighborhood and come in like stormtroopers and try to intimidate us, you know. But a lot of us was not afraid, you know, we were just like uh, we was young and we was like, uh, OK, we got to die. We got to die.
1: Mm. I always try to talk to people about, um, you know, and, and it's hard on social media because you've got 140 characters. And, and, you know, it's it's difficult to have a real conversation with a lot of strangers. So I try to use my podcast, you know, as a way to, you know, communicate with people some of the things that I have to say and have experienced. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I truly don't think people are understanding about police officers is the fact that these are just regular people, just regular old. I graduated from high school, might've gotten a GED. A lot of them didn't go to college. There's, there's no requirements, you know, for college. You don't have to take any type of psych evaluation, Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of things that you have to do to get a badge and a gun. Mm-hmm. And so we're basically putting regular American citizens in positions to uphold the law and 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 um, protect and serve the community. And you have to think about um, the reasons that someone would want to be a police officer because it doesn't seem worth it. I mean, they don't get paid a lot of money. And their life is in danger every single day. So I started to think about who would want to be a police officer. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as I thought about that, it, it started reminding me of the guys in high school that were losers that didn't mm-hmm. have you know a good experience. Maybe weren't very popular, you know. Then there was the the jocks that you know didn't make it as professionals or weren't good enough to go and play in college, and 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 then you have these adventure junkies like people that think that when they're a cop they get to be you know like some type of some type of ass whooper or some type of you know mm-hmm. person that saves the day type of thing and and you can't put this is my opinion you cannot put suburban white males in the hood to protect and serve no you can't you can't do that and <laughs> and what what is your Tell me why you feel that way, because I can explain why I feel that way as well.
0: Well, for one reason, um, this, the motto that they use to protect and serve, I have always applied that to the white community. The motto that is uh, used for the black community is law enforcement.
1: Mm, those are bars.
0: You know, so those are two different factors there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most most cops are, in my opinion, you know, they can, they can have a good intent. They can have um, a, a pretty fair, decent amount of education. A lot of black police officers that I know are college graduates and so forth. But at the same time, when you place white males in the black community that is untrained in their approach, a lot of them have a lot of socialization problems because let me put it on the table
1: please do cuz this this is what me, my podcast me, is for that let,
0: <laughs> let me put it on the table white supremacy is the is the is the main problem that we experience here in America how they view black people is the is the problem they don't see any worth in us They don't believe that we are of value. And the attitude concerning equality is out of the window. So now, if I believe that you are inferior, then I'm gonna go back to the school system. If I believe that you are inferior and I am superior, then how can I properly educate you? Because I feel that you don't have the capability to be educated to my standard. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about America and how America views is people of color, it goes back to the institution of slavery. They view us as being animals. Mm. And if they look at us in that regard, then they're going to treat us in that regard and imagery plays a whole lot in that scenario and as long as america is putting out the imagery of their superiority they're going to always always view people that's not like them as inferior
1: a lot of people see white supremacy in what's now called white privilege as something that is made up by the black community, a lot of I have, you know, I have a lot of um friends of all races, but I have a lot of white friends mm-hmm. and I have friends that say, well, I don't have white privilege. Like, I don't see black people as inferior. I think that we're all equals. I don't understand why someone thinks that I have some type of privilege over a black person, especially when I don't give that off. What do you what do you think <laughs> about that?
0: Tell them to trade places with you for a week. <laughs> Find yeah.
1: out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so they trade places for a week.
1: What I like about a lot of my friends, and and this is a, a big requirement to be my friend, is is authenticity and honesty. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends are genuine about um th- their observation of the world. And one of the other things I love about my friends are the fact that they don't tell me things like they don't tell me things that, that you you can't tell me what it's like to be black I don't care how many no, black can't. friends you have I don't care how many experiences you've had my friends don't say to me things like I don't know why you feel that way
2: mm-hmm. I don't know
1: why you think that like they, those are things that get under my skin very deeply
2: mm-hmm. you
1: can sympathize with me without feeling or understanding how I feel. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think they know what it feels like. And I don't I get a little bit bothered by that. I try to do my best to just, you know, ignore it and go around it, but when someone says to me things like, "I know how that feels," and and, and they're not black. For example, a lot of people say things like, "Well, white people get pulled over just as much or all the time too," like you act like only black people are getting pulled over. And I say things like, "Well, people aren't getting pulled over because they're white. Mm-hmm. So that right there is a big difference. Just because you're black, they will run your tags behind you before they even turn the lights on. If they see a black male or female and a cop has an issue there, you know, and, and and we're talking we're speaking about cops in general as one group of people, you know, not discussing those that aren't like this. I do believe that there are a lot of cops that don't, you know, profile. However, there are way too many that do. Exactly. So we don't really get to see the good cops all the time because the bad cops are totally outweighing them and there aren't any good cops speaking up about this. So to me, they're just as bad, you know. When,
0: when, when, When you are silent, when you see injustice then you are partaker of that injustice yourself. Now, most people don't understand the foundation concerning how the American police society started. And that foundation was set in uh, the 1800s when they used to have slave patrols that roamed the uh, roads and so forth to catch slaves and runaways and so forth. So we get the foundation of the police uh, outlook from that era. So there has been animosity against blacks since that time. And there is a lot of animosity today against black males, especially Mm -hmm. because black males is, is viewed as being dangerous, being untrustworthy, uh, being um, on the brink of chaos, and that's playing into the imagery that the media is putting out there. Mm
1: -hmm. You got to
0: understand the power of black and what it represents. The black male represent in the mind of most white males strength, power. And if you ever notice that most big time executive, they're going to have a black limousine or dressed in all black because it represent it has a, it has a, a, a factor of power and strength and authority. Mm-hmm. When we talk about blackness in this country, We have to understand there's two dimensions of blackness that is being presented to society. When you look at the Webster Dictionary, one of the definitions that it gives concerning black is devoid of good.
1: Right. Dark.
0: Dark. It is associated with evil. Mm -hmm. Now. This is how white people view black people, always associated with evil. Now, when I look at the word white, according to the Webster Dictionary, it says pure and wholesome. Well, in my psyche, I say that's not the case. It reminds me of evil. So there is a a factor that we have to come to concerning how we view ourselves as black people and understanding that we have a power within ourselves to raise above how someone has defined us. You as a woman, most people want to define you in a category of you have a place. No, you don't have a place. No. You are expressive. Mm -hmm. You are a creative being. You have imagination. You have thoughts. You have dreams. You have talent and gifts. And if you are not utilizing those talents and gifts and thoughts and purpose, then why are you existing? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, my understanding of life is this here. That I'm going to be who I was created to be. And I don't see any white person as my God, for one thing. And because I don't have that in my head, then I can be as free as I want to be. Society can't stop me from being expressive. Mm -hmm. Society can't stop me from, from dreaming. Society can't stop me from reaching out to my next fellow human being and saying to them, just because i know my value that i understand your value too. Mm-hmm. You see what i'm saying?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I want to um ask you about um, the second amendment.
2: Uh yeah. <laughs>
1: Gun laws. So the one thing i do like about the NRA and you know everyone that's basically you know standing their ground on us being able to carry a firearm is I don't like all the the, the amendments in the constitution. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't don't feel like that was written in a time where we are today. So a lot of it should not um, still be law. I Mm -hmm. do believe that there does need to be some changes, but what are your views on the right to um, carry a firearm in America in 2016?
0: Let's put it in the, Let's put, place that in the intent and the day in which it was written. Okay. The Second Amendment. One of the things that people fail to uh, cite when they cite the Second Amendment is that it talk about a standing militia. Okay. Of that time. It was necessary for the colonists of that time to have a standing militia that would offset any advancement that the British might uh, bring forth. Now, we say militia for that day, but in this day, that would be uh, equivalent to the National Guard. Okay. Okay? Now, every citizen militia person had a right to bear arms. That is the whole ideal of it, because you are a citizen of this, this country, and because you are a volunteer militia person, you have a right to bear arms. Now, it has been expanded, true, but we have to look at it from the standpoint that some of these people have taken this beyond the scope of what it really the, what it really stood for. I heard one guy say, "Well, I have a right to have a tank." Uh, I know of a guy who has who uh, who had uh, hand grenades in his house, you know, and other types of assault weapon. So now, do the Constitution, the Second Amendment, says that you have a right to have that also? Well, that's a debatable subject. But okay. I believe that you have to put it in perspective. Yes, you do have a right to have an arm. Yes, you do have a right to have a concealed weapon. Yes, you do have those rights. But let's put it in perspective and understand. If it's going to be a right for the white community, then it have to be a right for the black community at the same time. Now, the NRA, they're kind of silent mm-hmm. when a black person stand up for their rights to carry arms.
1: Right. As as we saw in Dallas.
0: Exactly. They are real silent on that issue there. And basically, until it can affect white people, (coughs) they're not going to do anything that's going to change the uh, paradigm of it. When black people begin to carry weapons, because I came from the state of Michigan, and you will see white guys walking down the street with weapons mm-hmm. openly carrying. It's, it's so so Michi-
1: Michigan's an open carry state. Exactly. Okay. I didn't know that
0: they would have assault weapons on, on their side. And do you think the, the, the cops would engage them? Not at all.
1: Right. We saw in Dallas, a uh, black male, carrying his assault rifle, you know, marching um, in protest. And it was all over the news that he was the suspect who did the shooting of the police officers. I saw that. That was crazy to me because I felt like, imagine what would have happened if, let's say, we had some some people, it doesn't matter what race they are, but that saw that and decided they were going to take him down because... Mm -hmm. because the news, the media posted a picture of him because the Dallas Police Department posted it and said he was a suspect. Now, they never said he did the shootings, but they posted a picture of him with an assault rifle saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that a black male was was shooting. And what would have happened had they killed that man?
0: You know, the media would have uh, been in a, a lot of a lot of trouble.
1: But the media. They they need to
0: take on they need to take the responsibility of what they present out there and check their facts.
1: Well, the media couldn't post it if the Dallas Police Department didn't post it. They are the ones that posted it. The actual police department posted it, a picture of him.
0: Okay. So the Dallas Police Department would have to take the responsibility for their action at the same time because, you know, if they don't check their facts before they put that stuff out in the public. You know, yes, harm can come to innocent people, you know, so they have to be 100 percent sure that they have the right suspect and information before they start putting that information out there. Because you have some crazy people out there, you know, right. that want to be engaged in a conflict with black
1: people. Yeah. So I was talking to one of my friends who is a, an attorney. She's a she's um she's a lawyer. And when this happened and this shooting happened in Dallas and they ended up killing, allegedly killing the guy that did this, she texted me and she said, you know, she she said she's a white woman, just so you guys know. She said, I can't believe this country just used a drone. Granted, it's on wheels, not wings, but to execute a person without due process. The police have become the judge, jury and executor. But, exactly. but to be OK with the fact that we blew up a guy because some cops decided he did something without proving it beyond all reasonable doubt. It's a slip slippery slope, she said.
0: Yes, we've been we've been uh, existing on that slippery slope ever since uh, 9-11. And it's going to slide even worse, sir, as we uh, go into our elections and so forth and if we're not careful really really not careful then we're going to have a civil war in this country eventually yeah
1: because we, we someone was executed literally executed because the police said he was the guy imagine for one second if it's really not him mm-hmm. imagine if he's the the person that's the decoy to get to let the other person get away thinking they're not going to kill me
2: mhm you know,
1: and he's just saying he did it. Why is he in a parking garage? You know what I mean? Like of all places, he was on the ground before. It was a lot of questions that I had. And then when he was killed, we don't get to ask him any questions. We have SWAT. We have all these different um, tactical units and, and militant units that are supposed to be able to go in and, and, and take somebody down. And I've seen it happen with white males all the time. I've seen white males on TV with guns, with knives, with bats with all type of weapons, and the police somehow are able to de-escalate the situation and, and get the person in custody so that they can stand their day, uh, stand up in their day in court. And for some reason, they don't seem to be able to do that with black males.
0: You know, the the, the primary uh, example that I look at is what happened in uh, was it South Carolina or North Carolina when that white guy went into that black church and killed the people Mm there, when they arrested him, I saw how they approached him versus how they would approach a black suspect.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It was very polite, you know, and they was very engaging in getting him to cooperate and showed no type of hostility towards him even though he was a mass murderer. Yeah. But because he was a white male, the approach was different. And people have to look at that. There is a there is a bias that exists within this country concerning how they approach black males, you know? And we have to address that. Our politicians, you know, some of them would want to, but they can only go so far. The religious leaders, uh, they too concerned about their government cheese uh-huh. to uh, to really have a voice, you know, because they want, they don't want, they want the money. They, they don't want nothing to interfere with that full one C three, you know. So bars. There are there are people out here. Uh, we will stand up. I, I call it the spirit of Nate Turner. Nate Turner was a man that said enough is enough and I'm not taking it anymore and this is a new era. The same black male of my day is not the same that's in your day.
2: Right.
0: They're not going to take the abuse. They're not going to take the, the assault that was prevalent in my day in mass quantity. So now, America has to make a decision concerning how they want to address the issue of equality in this country. Mm-hmm. I, was really, I was really taken in by the letter that uh, Albert Einstein wrote back in 1946 concerning the Negro question. And he addressed that topic after only being in this country for 10 years. And he gave a warning to those that was in power saying that you cannot continue to avoid this issue because I'm going to paraphrase it. If you don't address the issue of how you uh, how you deal with your citizens of color, it's going to come back and haunt you down the line. Mm.
1: And that was in 1946.
0: That was in 1946. Albert Einstein stood up and spoke about the equal, equality and the lack of justice that was shown in this country toward people of color.
1: What What are your opinions on um, people that say things like, well, Why are black people so upset with the police killing them when all they do is kill themselves anyway?
0: Well, that is a... um, Actually, that that question is a scapegoat question. Right. When white people kill each other, they don't put it out there, a white-on-white crime.
1: Right. It never makes the news as, look, a white man killed another white man.
0: Right. But when a black person kill another black person, it's headline news, black crime, a plague. And it's a scare tactic that is used that promote the idea of profit. Because the The more I can make you afraid of the black race, the more profit I can gain from your fear. Mm. And there are many contributing factors that uh, add to that scenario. Black on black crime, in my opinion, is just as terrible as white against black. I don't stand for a black person killing an innocent black person at all, okay? I feel that justice should come down on his head or her head just as well. If you don't have the dignity to honor another person like you who have been uh, oppressed in this country and you want to further that oppression and, and that hatred then you need to look at the fact that you're going to be held accountable. And that's the problem, that black males need to be held accountable.
1: And they're not. And I believe they're not being held accountable because our country enjoys us killing each other. I can guarantee you that if a group of black men went into a white community and just started to randomly murder innocent people constantly, it would be... um, there would be an investigation. Those people would be found and put in jail. But because no one is caring about the black community killing itself, these things are allowed to continue. There is no justice for black families when black uh, criminals in their own community killed. the people in their same community because no one's really caring. Those people are just seen as nothing anyway. It's like, oh, well, let them kill each other off. And I have right. a big problem with that, you know, because that's part of the reason that we can't get a hold of black-on-black crime. It's being but, allowed.
0: Well, let me put it to you like this here. My, my core belief about a thing, if a person believes, and this is one of the uh, things that really disturbs me concerning the, quote, Christian world, if you believe that you are created in the image of God, then I had to examine that thought factor. Well, God, who was a creator, provided for that which he created, and then became the authority of that which he created at the same time. So, if man, who I say is a plural factor, is created in the image of God, then he must do what God did, and that is to be a creator, provider, and a ruler. Now, Man create by the agency of the female. Now, Mm -hmm. in this country, in this country, two out of three of the divine rights was taken from the black male.
1: What were those?
0: He was not the provider and he was not the authority of that which he created.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: He created babies for the business of slavery. Right. And because he was the creator for the business uh, of slavery, he had no accountability. Mm -hmm. He had no responsibility. So he was able to be promiscuous and go out there and disperse his seeds without the accountability factor. So now that legacy still haunts us today. There are many a black men that's out here making babies with no accountabilities and no responsibility.
2: And,
0: and because of that factor, they have allowed themselves to be put at a disadvantage and allowed the black female to be the head because they have failed to accept their headship.
1: Mm, 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 mm. You are preaching right now, Dad. <laughs> Man, I love talking to you. Like I really love it. Um I hate that we you know you only have an hour, so we got about 15 minutes left maybe, but we got to jump into some other stuff cuz I'm trying to cover as much as I can while I have you. Um give me a reason outside of the fact that my ancestors died to, for my right to vote. Give me a reason why I should vote this year. Cuz I'm not I don't think I'm voting just so you know.
0: Okay. Okay. Here's the reason why I'm voting. Uh, I'm following the uh, winds of change or the winds of the the time. The white male dominance in the political arena has come to an end. How? When, see, one, one of the things that what, white people have to understand that there is a sovereignty that governs this world at the same time that they have and in their mind that they are. And historically speaking, it's time for a change because they have failed in their, in their ability to show equality and failed in their ability to show true justice for all people and not just one segment of people, I believe that this is the era for, for the women to, to rise up and especially black women to rise up and take the positions that is going to be available to show the world that they can lead just as well as a man.
1: So and vote probably, because And
0: probably do a better job.
1: So you basically are saying to me I should vote because change is coming.
0: Change is coming. You how,
1: how do you know that change is coming? Because I don't see any change, not even in my generation. I don't see anything making, I don't see any drastic changes before I leave this earth.
0: Because you're going to force the change. How? You're going to force the change. You're going to make sure you and women like yourself are going to make sure that it's being addressed. You're not going to be able to buy you off. Right. That's the biggest difference.
1: Well, you know, a lot of people think that when they vote for a president, that, you know, that is the most important vote. We all know that the president really is just a a person. It's a puppet sitting here. They can make some changes. But for the most part, doesn't that rely on the House and Congress and. Senate. it does so so w- with me knowing that that system is corrupt that entire system is corrupt and being bought how do i know that change is coming when that system that actually makes the laws has been bought
0: well from the grassroots people need to understand what you just said that real change comes from not only from your local and state it have to be galvanized, so then you can say, "Well, we are not going to allow our city, state to continue on the trajectory that is 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 on, because the people that's there are there as career politicians.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, they want to put mandates on people." but don't want mandates placed place on themselves. Right. Okay. So now, it's going to be up to the citizens of this country to change the direction that this country is going in. And it starts at your local location. It starts with the school board. It starts with the council meeting. It starts with the representatives. It starts with the governor, you know. Get some of these governors out of there that has no agenda for the poor, no agenda for the females, no agenda for those who are seeking employment, seeking opportunities. These people that's in government today, it need to be a clean sweep.
1: So what the- if- How do you feel about and and these are my opinions and and I'm telling you this because I respect, you know, your responses and your opinion on this. What do you say to someone like me who says government and politicians are nothing but scammers and criminals? So let's say I vote for someone that's saying they're going to bring about this type of change and that type of change. Once you get in that position, they're all being bought. Doesn't matter who they are. I know a lot of these people went into this field thinking that they wanted to make change. And once they get there and you have these lobbyists and all these people, you know, pushing money at them, like, hey, if you pass laws for me, look what I'm going to give you. I got Mm -hmm. this amount of money. How do you tell me to vote when a system is so flawed that it is allowing it it is able to be bought? Why would I care to vote?
0: Well, I understand your frustration in that. Here's where we drop the ball many a times. You know, we'll vote and then we'll forget about it. We'll vote and then we'll forget about it. But putting someone to represent me, I want to hold that person accountable. And I want that person to understand clearly. When I say accountable, I mean accountable. You said you're going to do this. So I'm going to hold you to that. And if you, cannot hold, if you cannot hold up your end of the bargain, then understand I'm going to work just as diligently to get you out as I put you in.
1: So let's talk about Governor Snyder. You, you I didn't have, vote for him. You have been living in Michigan for how many years?
0: I didn't vote for him.
1: I know you didn't, but how many years have you been living in Michigan?
0: Oh, uh, about... Fifteen years.
1: Fifteen years. How long has he been um, the governor?
0: I think he's on his second term.
1: So he pretty much poisoned an entire city, and he still has his job. How can you tell people to vote if and to hold people accountable when this isn't even news anymore that the water still isn't clean in Flint? It's not even news anymore. I know. So. I know. These are the reasons that I'm like, what's the purpose of voting? Let's say we do vote for someone and he does something horrible, he or she, and then we're trying to hold them accountable and no one's holding them. It's not, how do you hold someone accountable when you don't have power?
0: Well, here's one of the things that disturbed uh, a lot of politicians. People who can start grassroots movements and people who uh, are not afraid to get out there and put it on the line. Most people are caught up in their own uh, personal uh, situations and so forth. So they let things go. But mm-hmm. the politician I hold, I don't expect white politicians to do anything for me, period. But I do hold black politicians accountable.
1: And why is that?
0: Because they supposed, they look like me. they supposed to represent me. they supposed to have my interests at heart. Now. Understand, if I vote for a white person, I'm going to hold them just as accountable, too. But at the same time, I'm going to hold the black more accountable because you understand my struggle. Mm -hmm. And because you're supposed to understand my struggle, then you're supposed to put more emphasis on what is needed to advance the cause of black people.
1: And when you say advance the cause, a lot of people think That means like we need to run the country, and 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 essentially it means equality. It means we should all be equal. Doesn't matter the color of our skin or you know what the community that we live in. Because a lot of people leave out the fact that it's not just black communities that are being mistreated. There's a lot of non-black communities. The lower class in general doesn't matter your race. is is, is treated very poorly in this country. And if you're black, then it's even worse.
0: And let me give you some more facts, too. I have a good friend of mine that's a Native American. And the treatment that the Native American people uh, receive in the state of Michigan in some of those reservations is horrible. So basically, black people, Native American people, uh, uh, Latino people... They have a real reason to galvanize and say, you know, enough is enough. If you're going to represent us as a people, then represent the people, not the politics. You know, that's the whole problem here in this country now. It's not, it's not about the people. It's about the politics. A, a nation that is divided against itself will fall into desolation. I and see this the country- fall. Huh?
1: I see the fall happening.
0: Yeah. And this country is is following following the trend that Edward Gibbon wrote in his book about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. It parallels the events of that day. So now, until people can understand that if they don't show some type of uh concern for the masses of the people who are struggling every day just to survive people are being treated without dignity and honor and because of those factors you see the repercussions of it people are not going to accept it you can push an animal and I'm not saying that we are animals you can push an animal so far and that animal will turn on you
1: Right. So, um, I don't know if you're aware, but you have an anti Semitic daughter. Is that right? Yeah. Did you hear about it?
0: How are you anti Semitic?
1: Did you did I, my dad's not on Twitter for those of you listening? Um, did you see did you see I I'm pretty sure you probably read something about me lately in the paper or in the news. Have you heard anything?
0: No, how are you anti Semitic?
1: Okay, so um, you know my husband played for the Dolphins, whom I I actually can't stand. The owner of the GM of the Miami Dolphins. It was it has a lot to do with um the way my husband and myself was treated when um my husband played for them. Now mm-hmm. kind of, they don't owe me anything. I didn't sign a contract with the Dolphins. However, I was treated very poorly by the owner. Um, the GM and uh some of the coaches as well. But you know, they coaches are whatever. So when I when uh last week I was talking some trash. Look at me saying trash instead of shit because my dad's on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Progress. I've been trying so hard not to cuss because I know you don't like um when your daughter cusses, but that's you know that's who I am. I know, I know that's
0: your personality.
1: Yes. And so um I was talking some trash about the owner of the team and the GM and how terrible they are, how terrible he is as an owner and how, how he proves how terrible he is by hiring a terrible GM or, or I don't even know what his title is, because anytime something goes wrong, it's not going to be his fault. It's going to be somebody else's fault and whatever goes right, then it's going to be for him. So I'm assuming he's the GM, but I was trashing them as well as a trashy quarterback on social media one night late night up, you know, burning cush like I do. And, um, I said that, um, the owner hired, always hires his Jew buddies and and Jew J E W. I did not spell out the entire word Jewish buddies to, um, keep his, his, his homies employed and, the, the the tweets that followed are, are how you, you're supposed to take things into context. You're, if I followed it up with something like, I can't stand Jewish people, man. They get on my nerves. They only want to hire their own people. They never want to hire anyone else. My follow-up tweets were something like, I wish the black community did the same thing. Fraternities do that. Gay people hire gay people. Um Every, everybody has like um, I, most jobs that I've received or gotten weren't based on my skill or my experience. They were based on who I knew. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, none of them were black. It had nothing to do with me being black. It had to do with people that put me in position to meet someone and know someone. And so I was actually commenting on um, the Jewish community hiring their own. And that was I guess the, the original reason that I, I was called anti-Semitic is because I paraphrased Jewish for Jew. And apparently that is like saying nigger or saying faggot, mm-hmm. something that I didn't know, obviously, because I have lots of uh, Jewish friends who call themselves. Jew. Oh, my Jew buddy's coming over. Oh, my Jew homie. Like, that's just how I have heard uh, people speak of Jewish um. Anyone that is uh, Jewish religion as Jew, right? So I have no clue that Jew is just off limits in society. Um, and then it was, you know, pretty much plastered all over the media. Anywhere you go, that a wife of an NFL player is anti-Semitic because I said, "God, I want to, I want to read you the exact tweet if I can." Okay. Please read me. Yeah, read I wanna it. I wanna read it. Let me pull it up because I wasn't even prepared to I thought you would have saw this by now because you're on um the news outlets a lot. And, and and you hear about a lot of the things that are um being said about me.
0: <laughs> I try to stay abreast. I wanna know what they're saying about my baby now.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty funny to me that, you know, they use my mugshot in every every time they talk about me, they use my mugshot. And when they speak of other wives or, you know, these other wives that they consider equal to me, which is ridiculous as well, because none of these other wives are actual sports reporters and none of these other wives are managers of their husbands and and are as involved in my husband's life as I am. But here's the tweet. It said, got to respect Ross for keeping his Jew buddies employed. But did he not see how Tannenbaum, who's the GM, put the Jets in the dumpster with the Sanchez deal? Now, you don't know this, but on Twitter, you can only use 140 characters, which means 140 times you can click this, whether it's a space, a comma, whatever it is, you only get 140 for each one. So there -hmm. was was a few other things that I tried to, to abbreviate as well. But that right. was the tweet. Hmm. So do you want me to read it again?
2: No,
0: I got the essence of it.
1: So that is why I'm being called an anti-Semitic.
0: Well, I understand that the Jewish people are very sensitive concerning the description, but we are sensitive
1: to. Right.
0: <laughs> you know, concerning our description and definition. So if uh, that's the case then um uh, i'm quite sure that you didn't mean it in a harmful way you know when i well i
1: meant to be harmful in in my um opinion of their jobs however <clears throat> not it has nothing to do with their choice of religion
0: right right and and that's the whole idea that you was not intending to uh, assault them on that aspect um uh, but at the same time you know they try they trying to paint you into a corner and trying to paint you as a negative person which is not going to stand you know anytime that they cannot um control you they have to denigrate you okay so that is the um method that is used uh mostly in the media and by organization, if they can't control you, so then they got to do something else to denigrate you. But, sweetheart, just listen. Keep your head up. Let them say what they got to say. And keep it stepping.
1: Well, I want to address it a little bit, you know, because I haven't really. I've, I've said what my opinion and how I feel, and I'm just like, it's so stupid to call me that. I don't have. I don't even claim a true religion at this time. And this is something that I've never really said before, but I'm not in currently claiming a religion. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is because I've been doing research on all of the religions and I'm just not really sure which one represents who I, I am as a person today.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so
1: for me to, to hate someone because of their choice of religion sounds a little ridiculous because I don't even have enough information on the Jewish religion to hate them. No. I haven't had any experiences with anyone who is Jewish to hate them.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
1: I have never tweeted in regards to anyone who is Jewish ever before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was quite strange that I could be called such an evil word after one tweet. And then following it up, saying such things like, no, 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 you've got me wrong. That's not what I meant. That I didn't know Jew was offensive. Why would I, why would I hate someone? And then right. I said to myself, I had to think about it for a second. And I started to realize that the reason that this was such a big deal is because there are a lot of people that run the country that run a lot of stuff that are Jewish. Of course, so you know, I knew that, but I didn't understand why it was such a big deal for somebody's wife. Let's say I was being anti-semitic. Let's just say for shits and giggles that I don't like the Jewish religion. what <laughs> Who cares is the question. Who mm-hmm. cares? I have okay. I've I'm called a nigger, a cunt, a bitch, ugly, ghetto, whore approximately 20 to 30 times a day mm-hmm. on social media. No one is writing about these people in the newspaper that they are racist, that they hate black people, that they hate gold diggers, that they hate women. You know, so I'm trying to figure out why I am news to people. Why do so many people care what a football player's wife, and that's all they call me. They tell me if if I wasn't married to my husband, had he not scooped me up from the ghetto, I'd be eating out of a trash can every day, apparently. This is what, you know, people think of me. They don't
0: they don't know you had an education and and uh, a career before you met Brent,
1: dude. Multiple educations, multiple degrees, and mul- I was on my second career when I met my husband. For but for some reason, had I not met him, I would have been eating out of a trash can. You know, damn the fact that, you know, I've I've lived on my own my entire life. I've taken care of myself my entire life, and when yeah. my, I met my husband, I was working three jobs, and he's the person that pretty much got me to stop working by proposing to me because I was going to work my entire life and never depend on anyone. But he wanted a housewife. He wanted someone that was home every day when, you know, when he gets home. So I sacrificed my entire career and my, my body of work that I had been creating since I was a kid to do something different, which was be a housewife and be a mother. And yet I'm being crucified on social media <clears throat> because of my opinions and because of some things that are just being tweeted. And then people ask me to apologize. People actually ask me to apologize for my tweet. And you are out. Dad, could you cover your ear real quick?
0: I uh, would Go ahead.
1: <laughs> go fuck yourself. Anyone that thinks I should apologize, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to apologize for it. It is a tweet that I stand by It is also a tweet that I still claim is not anti-Semitic. I do not hate anyone for any reason, whether it's your color, your religion, your sexual preference, any of it. So there will not be an apology for it. Okay. I'm not I don't understand why people think that they can put me on a pedestal. They put me there. Mm -hmm. they put me somewhere in their life, which means whatever I tweet matters to them. Whatever I say matters to them. Whatever I do matters to them. I didn't ask for that. I understand why people um, look at athletes as role models and, and all these things, because these athletes are doing things that these people can't do. So they want their kids to be like these athletes. Meanwhile, Athletes are regular human beings just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. We're all regular people. And because you think that I'm somebody's wife, you've chosen to put me somewhere that I don't choose to be. I don't choose to be the person that has to be perfect on social media. I don't choose to be the person that doesn't cuss, that doesn't offend, that isn't disrespectful. I want to be me. And me is disrespectful and rude And all those things that you don't want a football wife to be. I am all those things. Mm -hmm. However, I'm also charitable. I am also generous. I'm also a good person. And the only reason I can say these things is because this is things that I do, what I put out. And these are things that come back to me. People that actually get to know me outside of the things that I put in 140 characters know that there is not an anti-Semitic bone in my body. And if you continue to believe everything that the media says, then that's on you. Don't bring it It, to me.
0: Exactly. You know, it's offensive to me that they would even try to muzzle you. Yeah. You know, because you are a boisterous black female. And that's one thing that this society don't like. A black woman who can stand up and say what she have to say. And believe what she have to believe. So basically, if they can't control you, they're going to try to destroy you another way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Or come between you and your husband. Right. It's the divide and conquer scheme all over again. So basically, stand your ground.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I Don't
0: apologize for anything. Stand your ground. And if they're so thin-skinned, it, you know, like you said,
1: oh well. Oh well, because I feel like a lot of people want to... They want you to have sympathy for them and all the things that they've been through. Oh, you can't say that because, you know, all the things that um Jewish um the Jewish community went through and the religion and the Holocaust and da da da. da you can't Wait say minute. that. Whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. Their holocaust is 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 true. But our holocaust is just as true as theirs.
1: Right. And, and, and you can say number, nigger whenever you num- want.
0: The number factor that was uh, concerning the death toll of the black population outweighs the number of factor that uh, occurred in Europe. You know, yes, they have a reason to gripe concerning what happened back in 1941 and 42 and 43. Yes, but we have also a factor that we can go back to 1600. Right. Until 1968,
1: and counting. If you want to keep in thousand,
0: so yes, they have a, they they have something to complain about about the Holocaust. We had a tremendous Holocaust too, so right. I'm not buying that.
1: Yeah, so people were were retaliating, telling calling me a nigger for saying Jew, <laughs> and wanting an apology. Really. You really think I'm going to feel some type of sorrow or sadness for you coming back, calling me a cunt and a nigger and, and a stupid gold digging whore after you've been offended? Like, how is offending someone because you were offended? OK,
2: mm-hmm.
1: when someone offends me, I don't I don't take shots at their race. You know, I, I, I try to be a, a bit of a comedian about it. I try to try to joke at him in other ways. You know what I mean? I just made a dude uh, delete his Twitter the other day about his hairline because he came at me talking disrespectfully to me, and I posted a picture of his hairline, and he (laughs) literally deleted his Twitter because everyone was laughing at him. You know, those are the things that I do. I'm not going to call you out of your name and be disrespectful to your race or your religion or your sexual preference or you know any of that stuff because that's just not who I am as a person. And right. a lot a lot of people were asking me why I de- why I blocked my my Twitter and my Instagram. You don't probably even know what that means. But it basically <laughs> I blocked it just so people can know. I blocked it because I'm getting 2000 mentions an hour and I can't really argue back with all of you guys. I want to interact with people on social media. I'm there to interact, but I can't interact when there's that many. So I blocked it. So because most of those people that were tweeting me weren't even following me. Right. They're just people that are just tweeting me. So when I block it, you're not allowed to tweet me. You can, but I don't see it. Mm-mm. So I'm mm-hmm. only going to see the tweets of people that are, have actually hit a button to say, I want to see everything this girl's talking about. And I haven't added anyone. I don't mm-hmm. even think I'm going to unblock my Twitter for quite a while. I'm, I don't I don't even need to unblock it. I, re, I don't even like having you know damn near 17,000 people following me and and reading every single thing that I write judging me and all these things but I can handle it I can handle it now because now I know that you guys are obsessed with my tweets you need to see them so if you tweet me something disrespectful now I can just block you and now Mm -hmm. you can't see them at all so I can handle that that's why I'm private I'm not running from any of you dad close your ears I'm not running from any of you motherfuckers. Okay, there is no fear in me. My heart doesn't pump Kool-Aid, bitch niggas, at all. So I had I to. De- Sorry, Dad, you listening again?
0: I don't think. I don't <laughs> think you got Kool-Aid in your blood, baby.
1: <laughs> I just don't. I I don't like that they're trying to make it like I blocked my Twitter or something out of fear. There's no fear in me. Granted, I will never use the word Jew. Ever again in my life, unless I'm in a setting of people that are okay with it, just you know, of cracking jokes. But I understand now the severity of that word to certain mm-hmm. people. So mm-hmm. out of respect for the people that are Jewish that feel some type of way about that word, I will never use it again.
0: That's good. That's good. Yeah. But I'm I'm, I'm gonna give you something. Uh, I was sitting at the ki- at the uh, at the table, the dining room table, the other day. And and I was watching the uh, maintenance people um, do the grass and so forth, and I, the word um, hater came up in my mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was looking at the beautiful plants outside, and I saw how beautiful they were and um, how they was growing and everything. And then I thought about something. It take a lot of fertilizer or uh, manure. To make the plants grow beautifully. Mm -hmm. So I applied that word fertilizer or manure to haters. Mm. So what is a hater? Manure. What do they do? They make you grow.
1: Mm. I see you. (laughs) I see you, Dad. I see you we, we got to get out of here though okay. time is all the way up past up okay we will definitely have to do this again
2: okay and hopefully
1: baby. things have will will have progressed and and been better the next time i have you on but thank you so much dad for joining
0: thank me. thank you thank you for allowing me sweetheart all right bye-bye bye-bye
1: what an awesome conversation. You know, as you can see, me and my dad can talk for hours about everything. And I love that he has so much knowledge. He's done so much um, research. He's traveled. He's studied a lot. And so instead of, you know, listening to the media and reading a lot of newspapers and things that are people are writing because they have to write it because someone told them to write it, even with, even though it's not true. I call my dad whenever something happens I call him I ask him his opinion I ask him to give me a piece of history that shows him why this is happening and what could possibly happen next and I'm blessed I am blessed to have him he's so awesome And if you guys really like this podcast I I would love to do it again I would love to sit down and and get um, my dad to talk more And get your insight and your opinion Any questions you have for him We can do another podcast where it's just Ask Dad And he can talk about it But um, thank you guys for joining me and listening I know it wasn't about sports who cares? Nothing's going on? I promise you as soon as football starts, shit is going to be popping. And until then just hang on and pray for America. I'm out. Never back. yeah, For where we started, to where we sat, to where we was going. forward, never back. yeah, from where we started, to where we sat, to where we was going. forward, never back. yeah where it started, to where it's at, going forward, never back, yeah, puff cigars on the balcony, the background music soothing, two masseuses maneuver, maroon BM, BM Museums, Wade Tim's with a pretty chick, so coaching.